Welcome, Christian Israel, Pastor Eli James here. Today is January 7th, 2023, and this is Genesis to Revelation. And today we're going to pick things up at, let me open my uh, screen here, uh, at First Chronicles chapter 16. But first, I want to do a quick article about the prophet Nathan because I had a question as to whether uh, Nathan, the prophet, was related to the, the son of David named Nathan. And uh, as, a, as a surprise, it's very difficult to find any information about that. So anyway, uh, I'll just read this article here about that subject. And I put the link in the chat room. And it goes like this. Who was Nathan in the Bible? From GodQuestions.org. Answer. Nathan was a prophet in the Bible who lived during the reign of King David in Israel. God spoke to David. I love it when they don't use the word Jew. They use the word Israel instead of Jew. God spoke to David through Nathan on several occasions. Nathan was a member of David's royal court and one of his closest advisors. Nathan apparently also knew Bathsheba well, enough to speak to her about Adonijah's attempt to usurp David's throne from her son Solomon. And uh, we covered that in 1 Kings 1.11, and to enlist her help in bringing the matter to the king. There are three or four stories in the Bible featuring Nathan that occurred during some of the darkest and most emotional times in David's life. Yeah, okay, as he was getting older, he was having more difficulty, and Nathan was there to uh, you know, chastise him as well as encourage him, right? The first mention of Nathan establishes his relationship with David as a trusted advisor. David decides to build God a house because the king is living in a beautiful cedar palace and thinks it wrong that the Ark of the Covenant should be housed in a lowly tent, namely the tabernacle. David uh, tells Nathan about his plans to build a house for God. And Nathan says he should go ahead and do it because Yahweh is with him, 2 Samuel 7, 2-3. Then God visits Nathan in a vision and tells him to return to David and inform him that God doesn't need the king to build him a house. Rather, God would establish David's dynasty through his son forever. That's another house, right? It's the house of uh, David. Then his son Solomon would be the one to build God's house, 2 Samuel 7, verses 4 through 17. Nathan relays this important message to the king, and David utters a grateful and beautiful prayer to God for his grace, 2 Samuel 7, 18-29. The next time Nathan is mentioned, it is after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba and brought about her husband's death to hide her pregnancy, 2 Samuel 12, 1. At that point, David had made Bathsheba his wife and had seemingly gotten away with his sin. But Yahweh knew about it and told Nathan to rebuke David. Nathan went to David David and wisely told the king a fable about a rich man and a poor man. The rich man was visited by a traveler, so he took the poor man's only possession, a little ewe lamb that he loved as a pet. 
to feed his guests, rather than taking a lamb from his own extensive flocks. David was enraged at the story and declared that the rich man had no pity and deserved to die. Uh Uh-oh. Nathan then points to David and says, You are that man! 2 Samuel 12.7 It's always good to use a parable to make your the person you're accusing of something understand what you're accusing that person of. Anyway, Nathan reveals that David's sin was like that of the rich man because David took away Uriah's wife, his one and only wife. Nathan then prophesies it, but man, she's hot, right? But David says, you, <laughs> then, in, uh, or so, I lost my place here, sorry. Uh, okay, so because David took away David's uh, uh, Uriah's one and only wife. Then Nathan prophesied to David in God's own words, quote, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul, and I gave your, you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms, and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of Yahweh? To do what is evil in his sight. Yeah, I mean, you don't have enough wives. You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Unquote, Second Samuel twelve seven through 10. Okay, so to me, this... It confirms conclusively that Uriah was not a Hittite by race, but probably a commander in Hittite territory. So that's why they called him Uriah the Hittite. Otherwise, Yahweh would not have been so upset about uh, you know him taking uh, Bathsheba from Uriah. Uh, I just don't see how Yahweh would have been upset about that if uh, Uriah were not, in fact, an Israelite, okay? Dave, uh, and I think I'll do a show about this. Uh, uh, there's a couple of articles uh, I have on this subject, and maybe I'll just do a show about that in the near future. Anyway, let's continue. David confesses to Nathan that he has sinned against Yahweh. And Nathan comforts him, saying that Yahweh has forgiven his sin and that David's life will not be required of him. Wow. Okay, because murder is the death penalty. But uh, uh, Yahweh is... It would be nice for for me to have a a guy by the name of Nathan telling me that all my sins are forgiven and I don't have to suffer any penalties, right? That would be nice. Okay, so anyway, Yahweh spared David. You know, well, but David had done all all this work, all these wars and battles and whatnot, uh, attempts on his own life that he, and plus uh, David was very, very merciful to Saul. He could have easily taken Saul's life and did not. Anyway, nonetheless, David's child by Bathsheba was to die. David, under inspiration of of Yahweh, or the Holy Spirit, rather, pens Psalm 51 
after this encounter with Nathan the prophet. Oh, okay, i got to make a note of that. Psalm 51 is related to this story. I didn't catch that before. Thank you very much. We'll have to uh, we'll have to discuss that on a future show. So let's continue. After the death of David's child, his wife Bathsheba became pregnant again. This time with a son whom they named Solomon. Yahweh sent Nathan to David again. This time to say that Yahweh loved his son Solomon. And they called Solomon Jedediah a name that means beloved of Yahweh, Jedediah. Okay? Again, Yahweh tells us he surnames us after him, and all the prophets, Jeremiah, Yudah, meaning uh, Yahweh be praised. All, all of these prophets and uh, scribes and, and other people as well, are surnamed by Yahweh, by the letters I-A-H, pronounced, of course, Yah, at the end of these people's names. And all these people's names who are suffixed by the the suffix Yah are what he called his surname. So our people, I don't know of any other group of people in the world who have such a suffix. Anyway, let's continue. Oh yeah, let me one more thing. The uh, it may seem highly unfair for Yahweh to take David's son and punish, essentially punish the son instead of David. But we have to understand that Yahweh has a place for that son in the kingdom, and who knows what might have happened. Let's say that son did live and was a a, a, a a gossip piece, for lack of a better expression, within the household of David from that moment forward. That, that might have caused more trouble for, David, for David's household than all the other things that were causing trouble for him. So whatever reasoning Yahweh has, we have to trust him. And I'm sure that David's son, I guess he goes unnamed, would the the first child of David and Bathsheba is well taken care of in the kingdom. Okay, because he basically bore, there may be a parable in this as well. (laughs) He bore David's sin. Okay, he bore David's sin. Let's continue. First Chronicles 3.5 reveals the fact that King David and Queen Bathsheba named one of their sons born to them in Jerusalem, Nathan. No doubt the child's name is a reflection of the royal couple's appreciation for the prophet Nathan's faithfulness, friendship, tough love, <laughs> and good advice. Through the years. Yeah, I should have had an advisor like that. Most of us don't have good advisors. Most of us have have economic advisors telling us to borrow money from the Jews. So, very good. Very good article there. And the reason why I decided to access this topic was because in 
First Chronicles chapter 17, there is, uh, David appears again and utters the same prophecy that Nathan uttered in 2 Samuel 7.10. And we'll do a comparison of those prophecies when we get to that chapter. So very good stuff here. Very good. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Mr. Kim Smith said, maybe Uriah was a Hittite and Yahweh didn't mind. <laughs> yeah. yeah, LOL, right? <laughs> yeah, well, we know that there's several people in Scripture, like uh, Ruth, the so-called Moabitess, who weren't Mo- she wasn't Moabitess by race. And the fact is that the, the kingdom of David was already far-flung because the Israelites had conquered Hittite territory and they conquered Egyptian territory. Uh, Edom, I, you know, we know, of course, the Hittites were a branch of Edom. And uh, would David actually accept a Hittite warrior as a, a chieftain among his uh, among his uh, generals? I don't think so. All right. Like I said, I'll, I'll do a. I've never really done a show about this topic, but. Uh, I've, I've consulted a few articles on this subject recently, and so I think I'll make a uh, you know make a, a show about that in the near future. Okay, so let's continue with our today's subject, which is Second Chronicles. We finished off through chapter 15 last Saturday, and so we'll pick up First Chronicles. Chapter 16. Hold on real quick. I have to make an adjustment to my heater. It's getting kind of cold in here. The weather has been crazy. We had sub, it was minus 8 degrees two weekends ago. Of course, that was the Christmas weekend. And then it was in the 60s in Southern Illinois last week. And... uh, now it's back down, well, what is it? It's uh, right around freezing, right, I think 28 degrees, which is kind of normal for this time of year. And uh, the weather is really fluctuating. I think the harpsters are playing their harps, having fun with us. Boy, are they having fun with the state of California. All right, chapter 16, verse 1, the ark placed in a tent. So they brought the ark of God of Elohim and sent it in the midst of the tent that David had pitched for it. And they offered burnt sacrifices and peace offerings before El. And when you, oh, on, let me uh, switch to the uh, concordance version here so I, I can check the uh, actual words. Yeah, Elohim, 430 Elohim. Before Elohim, and when David had made an end of offering the burnt offerings and peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of Yahweh. Okay, again, since David was not a priest, and Yahweh had instituted that the animal sacrifice, the sin offerings, the sin offerings were the exclusive province of the priesthood, and no king was to offer sin offerings. No one, no king was to take their place. So there's a clear demarcation between church and state, so to speak, in Scripture. Okay? And uh, our Constitution reflects that in the First Amendment, which states that 
the uh, no, the Congress shall not dictate to us what religion we should practice, right? Okay, what, but really that meant what version of Christianity we should practice because the founders did not consider Buddhism and Hinduism and even Judaism, for that matter, to be religion. They only counted Christianity as religion. So that our Constitution says, hey, you are not to partake of that office. Those offices are mutually exclusive. And, of course, our Constitution is based on Scripture. They copied Scripture in order to create our government. So let's continue. Verse 3. And he dealt to every one of Israel, both man and woman, to every one a loaf of bread and a good piece of flesh and a flagon of wine. But the uh, words of wine are added. A flagon. That is a cake of raisins. Well, how does that jive with wine? (laughs) I don't get that at all. All right. Something closely pressed together that is like a cake of raisins or other comfits. Flagon. I assume the flagon was a container of wines. Uh, So uh, maybe... Maybe the King James just blew this here, suggesting that it's a container of wine or a cake made with wine. That doesn't make sense. So it's probably just another mistake made by the KJV Translation Committee, of which we have documented hundreds here at Eurofolk Radio. Okay, let's continue. Verse 4. And he appointed certain of the Levites to minister before the Ark of Yahweh and to record and to thank and praise Yahweh, the God of Israel. Asaph, the chief, and next to him Zechariah, Jael, or Jael, and Shemiramoth, and Jehiel, and Mattathiah, and Eliab, where are you? I forgot. To <laughs> Where are you, Dan? You're you're supposed to be doing these tongue twisters, not me. <laughs> I got a message from Dan just before going on the air that he can't join me today, so now I have to do all these tongue twisters, and uh, so he can make fun of me <laughs> when I have difficulty with them. But actually, Dan does a really great job of doing these tongue twisting names. But anyway, let's continue. And Obadidam and Jael with psalteries. And psalteries are what? Something prepared. Apparatus, utensils. Could even be furnishings and etc. Okay. And with harps. But Asaph made a sound with cymbals. Okay. So he was the... Tambourine man, (laughs) Asaph, the tambourine man. Verse 6, Beniah, again, there's your uh, suffix, Yah, also an Yahaziel, there's your Elohim suffix, as in Ezekiel. We are surnamed after him, Yahweh Elohim is his full title. The priests with trumpets and continually before the Ark of the Covenant of Elohim. 
I have asserted previously that these words should never have been translated into English because all of the English translations do not do justice to these words. Verse 7, Then on that day David delivered first this psalm to thank Yahweh into the hand of Asaph and his brethren. So Asaph was, I'm not sure if Asaph is a priest or whether he was just appointed over the Levites to give them instructions as to what to do. So it's not clear whether he is actually a priest. There's no indication that he's a Levite, but he might have been, okay? Verse 8, Give thanks unto Yahweh, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the people. Sing unto him, sing psalms unto him, talk ye of all his wondrous works. Glory ye in his holy name. So what do the Jews tell us? We're supposed to ignore his name and suppress it. Sing unto him, sing psalms unto him, talk ye of all his wondrous works. Glory ye in his name. Let the heart of them rejoice that seeketh Yahweh. Seek Yahweh and his strength. Seek his face continually. Remember his marvelous works that he hath done, his wonders and the judgments of his mouth. O ye seed of Israel, his servant, ye children of Jacob, his chosen ones, and of course not the Jews, he is Yahweh our Elohim. His judgments are in all the earth. Be ye mindful always of his covenant, the word which he commanded to a thousand generations, even the covenant which he made with Abraham and his oath unto Isaac, and hath confirmed the same to Jacob for law and to Israel for an everlasting covenant. Okay, that law is an everlasting covenant with us. It was not done away with at the cross or stake, whichever you prefer. Verse 18. Saying, Unto thee will I give the hand, the land rather of Canaan, the lot of your inheritance. Okay, he's just renewing here the history of the Israelites taking over Canaan land. Verse 19. When ye were but few, even a few, and strangers in it, and when they went from nation to nation and from one kingdom to another play, another people, he suffered no man to do them wrong. And man here is, I believe it's Ish. Yeah, okay. That, that basically means the male of any species. But we're talking about nations here, so we're talking about humanoids. Yea, he reproved kings for the sake of Israel saying, Touch not mine anointed, and do my prophets no harm. Okay, so we're talking about the Israelites here. I have to make a note of this, because Israel is an anointed people. And Paul uses this language in the New Testament. So here's more proof. Let me write this down. I don't want to forget this verse, folks. That touch not mine anointed, 
That's First Chronicles 16.22. We're talking about the priests, the prophets, and the people of Israel here. Let me reprint this verse saying, Touch not mine anointed. He's just got, gone through praising the people of Israel and the house of Jacob and says, Touch not mine anointed. And then in addition, do my prophets no harm. So the word anointed applies. I don't see what this is. In, uh, okay, it's Mashiach, Messiah. That's the word Messiah, folks. Sing unto Yahweh all the earth. Show forth from day to day his salvation. That's again, Yeshua. Salvation is Yeshua. Declare his glory among the nations. Here it's got to be goy. It's nations. Okay. This is not the Jewish definition of goy. It's nations. Okay. Among the nations. His marvelous works among all nations. But the word nations here is different. It is am, a people. That's Hebrew 5971. So, Ami is Hebrew for my people, people of mine. So, Am is any people. So, we are supposed to declare his works before the other nations of the world. It doesn't mean we intermarry with them. Every knee shall bow. (laughs) Okay? So, even the Ishai of other nations need to know Yahweh. And if they don't know Yahweh, they're lost. As we've been saying here, the other races can receive a blessing. They cannot, however, partake of the covenants. We preach the covenant message here at Eurofolk Radio and no other message. We We don't teach salvation to other races or other nations. All they get is a blessing. And even the word salvation hardly ever has a post-mortem uh, meaning. It's, uh, salvation is being saved from your enemies. That's, that's primarily what the word salvation is used for in the Old Testament, okay? And uh, very often in the New Testament as well. But who is our Savior? Ult- ultimate Savior is, of course, Yeshua. Verse 24. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all Am. For great is Yahweh, and greatly to be praised. He also is to be feared above all gods, and gods there is Elohim. All other gods, because all these nations have gods of their own, whether they be real or imaginary, and the vast majority of them are imaginary. But the angels of the, you know, Heavens, mentioned in Genesis 1 and 2, they are real gods. They are angelic beings and have a consciousness of their own, and they dwell in the heavens. They don't dwell here on earth. And we're not supposed to worship them. We're only supposed to worship Yahweh. And Yahweh gives us angels to watch over us and take care of us if we accept them, if we accept that. And so thank you, Yahweh, for giving us your protecting guardian angels. And 
Let them do your work in us. Thank you. Amen. Okay. Give unto Yahweh the glory. And the next verse says exactly that. Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Uh, I, I'm skipping over a couple of verses here. Let me uh, go to verse 25. For great is Yahweh and greatly to be praised. He also is to be feared above all gods. That's that's where I left off. Very good. Verse 26, for all the gods of the people are idols, but Yahweh made the heavens, okay? Which, you know, so the heathen worshiped the gods of thunder and lightning and uh, wind, etc. Storm gods, basically, because they fear those storm gods. But Yahweh created all that, <laughs> right? So, and this, the absolute proof that the Israelites had a different religion and a different God from all the others is the fact that they were monotheists and worshipped Yahweh only. That that is when they were obedient. But they weren't always obedient. But when they were obedient, they worshipped Yahweh only. The heathen worshipped a multitude of gods at all times. So that distinguished the Israelites from the other nations. Okay, but nevertheless, those other nations that have not been condemned by Yahweh still stand in relationship to him. He does not hate them unto death as he did the Canaanites and the Edomites, of course. All right, because we know their fate. Verse 28. Uh, Let me start again with verse 27. Glory and honor are in his presence. Strength and gladness are in his place. Give unto Yahweh ye kindreds of the people. And kindreds is mishpacha, families. It's a class, by extension, a tribe or people. So it's talking about all peoples of the world, except for, of course, the Edomites and Canaanites, who are condemned, and, of course, the Nephilim and the uh, fallen angels that are still kept underground unto the day of judgment, give unto Yahweh glory and strength. Give unto Yahweh the glory due to his name. And the word name comes from the Hebrew word Shem. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship Yahweh in the beauty of holiness. Fear before him all the earth. The world also shall be stable, that it not be moved. All right, I think we're going to have a big shaking up, a big shakeup going on in the very near future. A lot of we may have a continental shift of huge proportions coming. All of the signs are there for that, folks. Let's continue. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let men say among the nations, Yahweh reigneth. Good stuff, folks. Good stuff. Let the sea roar and the fullness therefore, or of rather, the fullness thereof. Let the fields rejoice and all that is therein. Of course, there's all kinds of living entities. I mean, dirt is a living object, folks. It's got all kinds of bacteria and grubs and 
critters and spiders <laughs> and bugs. It's teeming with life. Dirt is teeming with life. So is your gut, <laughs> your microbiome. It's all teeming with life. Let's continue. Verse 33. Then shall the trees of the wood sing out at the presence of Yahweh, because he cometh to judge the earth. Oh, there are a lot of people not going to be very excited about that. No, 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 no. We, we don't want judgment. No, no, please, no, no. Verse 34. Oh, give thanks unto Yahweh, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. Verse 35. And say ye, save us, O Elohim, of our salvation. So this is a title. Yahweh is the Elohim of our salvation. And of course, that word salvation again is Yeshua. And that is the name of our salvation, Yeshua. And gather us together and deliver us from the heathen that we may give thanks to thy holy name. And of course, holy name here means Kodesh, sacred, set apart, hallowed. Okay. It doesn't necessarily mean, uh, you know, pious. It can mean that, but it essentially means set apart. It's a, he is the set apart God of Israel. Give thanks to thy set apart name and glory in thy praise. Blessed be Yahweh Elohim of Israel forever and ever. And all the people said, Amen, and praised Yahweh. So this is this reads like a psalm. And then worship before the ark. So he left there before the ark of the covenant of Yahweh, Asaph, and his brethren to minister before the ark continually as every day's work requires. So there are workers in the sanctuary, not necessarily priests. But Asaph was also a prophet and a psalmist, as we'll find out when we get to the Psalms. And Obadidam, with their brethren, threescore and eight, Obadidam, also the son of Yeduthun, and Hosea to be porters. And Zadok the priest and his brethren the priest, so now we're talking about priests exclusively. Zadok, I believe he's a Levite. I'd have to check the uh, genealogy. Zadok the priest and his brethren the priests before the tabernacle of Yahweh in the high place that was at Gibeon. And Gibeon was taken over by Israel from the Gibeonites who were Canaanites to offer burnt offering, they became uh, servants to Israel, uh, fulfilling prophecy that many people would be servants to the Israelites, especially the Canaanites, to offer burnt offerings unto Yahweh upon the altar of the burnt offering continually, morning and evening, and to do according to all that is written in the law of Yahweh, which he commanded Israel. Verse 41. And with them Heman and Yeduthun and the rest that were chosen who were expressed by name to give thanks to Yahweh because his mercy endureth forever. It better endure to the judgment day because we're going to need it then, folks. 
Verse 42, And with them Heman and Jeduthun with trumpets and cymbals for those that should make a sound, and with musical instruments like the Mormon Tabernacle Choir of God. And the sons of Jeduthun were the porters. So, it takes, it takes a lot of people to run a tabernacle, to run a church, to run a ministry, right? Verse 43. And all the people departed every man to his house, and David returned to bless his house. So these are the blessings of David upon his own house with all the helpers he had available to him. So we should have this kind of unity among our people today. Of course, that has not happened. Something is going to happen to unify the Christian identity movement in these end times. Because we have to band together despite our disagreements on doctrine and calendars and feast days, etc., etc. All of these different congregations within Israel are you know, acting according to their beliefs in sincerity. You have to credit the sincerity of these people who are learning things and not trying to lord it over us, okay? So, but the Catholic Church, for example, lorded over us and killed us if we happen to disagree with the Catholic Church. Obviously, no one in identity teaches any such thing. We don't have that authority to lord it over people. So now, chapter 17, and this is the chapter I was consulting about Nathan, here we go, verse 1. Now it came to pass, as David sat in his house, that David said to Nathan the prophet, Lo, I dwell in a house of cedars, but the ark of the covenant of Yahweh remaineth under curtains. Then Nathan said unto David, Do all that is in thine heart, for Elohim is with thee. And it came to pass the same night that the word of Elohim came to Nathan, saying, quote, Go and tell David my servant, thus saith Yahweh, Thou shalt not build me a house to dwell in. Okay, well, this is being spoken directly to David. No, David, I'm not going to have you do it. I will appoint your son Solomon to do that. Let's continue. For I have not dwelt in a house since the day that I brought up Israel unto this day, but have gone from tent to tent and from one tabernacle to another. Wheresoever I have walked with all Israel, spake I a word to any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to feed my people, saying, what, Why have you not built me a house of cedars? Unquote. Well, they never asked him to. <laughs> right? Now David is asking. Verse 7. Now therefore thus shalt thou say unto my servant David, Thus saith Yahweh of hosts, I took thee from the sheepcote, that is, from the group of sheep that we call Israel, even from following the sheep, that thou shouldest be ruler over my people of Israel. Now, of course, this is a parable. This verse by itself is a parable. Namely, if you're not a shepherd, you know, being a shepherd of literal sheep, means you're taking care of them, you're protecting them, you're defending them against enemies, against wolves, against uh, cattle rustlers, sheep rustlers, etc., etc., okay? And so that transfers right to the people of Israel. He became their shepherd. 
our shepherd. Now therefore thus shalt thou say unto my servant David, Thus saith Yahweh, I took thee from the sheep coat. Let's see. That's a word I'm unfamiliar with. Nave, or Nava. At home, by implication, a lovely place. Okay. Can be men, flocks, pastures. Okay, yeah. So he took him from his pastor, or pasture, rather. Not uh, not that guy, <laughs> pastor, who invented vaccination. Not that guy. And I have been with thee whithersoever thou hast walked and have cut off all thine enemies from before thee and have made thee a name like the name of the great men that are in the earth. Okay, yeah, his fame and Solomon's fame after him was worldwide to the civilized world, you know, those places that had language. Okay. Anyway, now here's the uh, verse that uh, caught my attention. Verse 9. This is First Chronicles 17.9. Also will I ordain a place for my people Israel, and will plant them, and they shall dwell in their place, and shall be moved no more. Neither shall the children of wickedness waste them any more, as at the beginning. Okay, well, at the beginning of what? At the beginning of the dispute between Cain and Abel, that enmity. Remember, that enmity was very great and resulted in the flood. So many of the Adamites became evil because of uh, imitating the the Kenites in those days, the descendants of Cain, that Yahweh had to bring a flood to get rid of all those contaminated Adamites. That's what had to happen. Now compare this to 2 Samuel 7.10. Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them. Now remember, these words are being spoken to David by Nathan in the land of Israel. I will plant them. I will appoint a place for them. So, 1 Chronicles 17.9 is a second witness of this prophecy that they may dwell in a place of their own and move no more. Well, here we are, folks. We have been plucked down by Yahweh in America, in Canada, in Britain, in Europe, in South Africa, in Australia and New Zealand and other places. We're not going to move anymore. There's no place left to go. But the latter half of this prophecy has yet to be fulfilled, fulfilled, neither shall the children of wickedness afflict them any more as before time. I'm getting too excited. I'm waiting for this prophecy to come about, right? The children of wickedness afflict them no more. Okay? That day has, that's going to happen at the day of judgment. And ultimately, as the parable of the wheat and the tares tells us, that these Edomites will be no more. The tares shall be gathered first and thrown into the lake of fire. Praise Yahweh. Amen. So we have a double witness to this prophecy. 
Number one, it establishes the dynasty of the house of David, which exists only in Jacob, Israel, and the Caucasian people, and no one else. No other people can claim this dynasty, certainly not the Jews. So we see that all these prophecies will be fulfilled, and the vast majority of prophecies in Scripture have been fulfilled already, except for those which determine the exact judgment episode. That is, the Day of Judgment, the Wedding Feast of the Lamb, the gathering of the tares, separating the tares from the wheat, and then the wheat that remains will be the bride, the bride of Christ. These are the, the things that have yet to be fulfilled, and maybe some of the, uh, how should I put this, the uh, catastrophes in the book of Revelation, namely the prominence of the sun, the earth will be hit by a flare from the sun, that's in Revelation, and it really sounds like we're going to be struck by a meteor or an asteroid just before the very end. Boy, things are going to get exciting, folks. They're going to get very exciting. And we'll keep our eyes on these developments as they're getting ready to unfold because I know astronomers are saying, well, we're entering an area of space where we're going to have more meteor impacts. We'll see. We'll see what happens. And it may also be a staged event. You know, the uh, the harpsters are able to create fake meteors, <laughs> create an illusion in the sky, which will have the same effect. And they can make tsunamis. I'm convinced that the horrible weather in California is harp weather. They're doing this deliberately to California. And uh, to punish those Californians for uh, for not uh, accepting the uh, the smart meters, right, which happened several years ago, that enraged the Rothschilds. So they're they're getting rid of the resistance in California. And, uh, you know, the exodus from the state of California has been great already, but after all of these catastrophes. More and more, uh, California is going to have to be depopulated, at least of white people. It's the white people who are moving out to places like Texas, and uh, well, I'm not going to tell them where to go because <laughs> because if they bring their liberalism with them, that's not a good thing. So they're going to have to conform to the conservative states they move into. Put it that way. All right. So now, verse ten of First Chronicles 17, and since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel, moreover, I will subdue all thine enemies, which has happened for us throughout history until the prophecy of uh, Isaac to Esau came into fulfillment with the advent and the rise of the house of Rothschild over us in these end times. That's also a matter of prophecy. So if you don't understand who Israel is, these prophecies make absolutely no sense. No sense whatsoever. Moreover, I will subdue all thine enemies. Furthermore, you know, there was a time when there was fear of the white man, fear of Israel all over the world. When the British Empire, the sun never set on the British Empire. And yet there was an even more powerful Israelite empire to come, namely the 50 states of America. 
the, the world acknowledges America as the most powerful nation on earth. China has been trying to take our place, but they've got, they're, they're so corrupt that uh, they're even more corrupt than we are. And so they're never, they'll never dig out of their corruption. Furthermore, I tell thee that Yahweh will build thee an house, and that's the dynasty, of course. And the word house here is Hebrew number 1004, Bayeth, Bayeth, a house, the greatest variation of, especially a family, court, a daughter, offspring, a dynasty. Don't they have this? They don't have the word dynasty as a definition. They should, because that's what it is. I will build thee a dynasty. Verse 11. And it shall come to pass when thy days be expired that thou must go to be with thy fathers where? In the kingdom. That I will raise up thy seed after thee, that is your direct descendants, which shall be of thy sons. And we got two words here. Min, mini, properly a part of. Above, after, among. Okay, so... Be of thy sons. Ben should be Ben Ben David. The sons are offspring of David, and especially sons in the masculine. And I will establish his kingdom. That is David's kingdom. He shall build me a house, and I will establish his throne. Okay, throne. Kiss a properly covered seat, stool, throne. Forever. Forever. Well, since Yahweh, uh, sorry, since Yahshua is in heaven, and of course, his kingdom has already been established, but we have yet to acknowledge fully his rulership over us. Far too many Israelites don't do that. And uh, the more, the more come aboard the Christian identity freight train. <laughs> it's still a freight train. It's, it's not a luxury passenger train yet. And as we chug along, gathering adherence, we are going to become much more attractive. People will get on board the train because we're not riding that freight train of vaccination, folks. There's two trains. There's a train called Christian Identity, which questions the authority of Klaus Schwab and the Rothschilds and their ilk, Bill Gates, and is establishing a separate dynasty of Israel, true Israel, and compared to one of fake Israel, namely the international Jew. And I will establish his throne forever. All right, so... His physical dynasty is still in the earth. I believe Queen Elizabeth was the last a full-blooded Israelite, although there's people who question that. There's still other full-blooded Israelites on the throne of Denmark and Sweden and other white countries who have not yet race-mixed. So, But the time is short because the Rothschilds want to race-mix all of these royal dynasties of the House of David. But one thing is for sure, the Jews have never had a royal dynasty, period. They never have. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. 
and I will not take my mercy away from him as I took it from him that he was that was before thee, okay, mainly Saul. But I will settle him in mine house and in my kingdom forever, and his throne shall be established forevermore. Again, there's that word forever and forevermore. How can we question the fact that his throne will last? And we're talking about the physical. It says here, sons, I will give you sons who will sit on your throne forever. Now, of course, we in identity understand, in contradistinction to the other denominations, that the kingdom is going to come right down here on earth. Earth will be the headquarters of the kingdom. The new Jerusalem will settle right here on earth. It's not going to be pie in the sky, by in the pie. It's right here on earth. Okay, of course, it'll be an interdimensional kingdom. But because Earth is our headquarters, the, the universe will be ruled right here from planet Earth. Let's continue. Because he wants sons and daughters in the flesh. And this solar system, with Earth being the third rock from the sun, has the ideal conditions for life. Probably the best conditions for life anywhere. But we will get our glory bodies, but the rest of the kingdom will not have glory bodies. They will simply continue to exist in their flesh bodies, but in an exalted state. There won't be any Jews to destroy the peace. Put it that way. And his throne shall be established forevermore. What part of forevermore don't you understand? Verse 15 According to all these words and according to all this vision, so did Nathan speak unto David. So Nathan was a primary advisor to David. Let's continue. Maybe I can finish these verses before we run out of time. Verse 16. And David the king came and sat before Yahweh and said, Who am I, Yahweh, O Elohim? And what is mine house that thou hast brought me hitherto? Yet this was a small thing in the eyes of O in thine eyes, O Elohim. For thou hast also spoken of thy servant's house for a great while to come, and hast regarded me according to the estate of a man of high degree, O Yahweh, my Elohim. Verse 18. What can David speak more to thee for the honor of thy servant? For thou knowest thy servant. O Yahweh, for thy servant's sake, and according to thine own heart, Hast thou done all this greatness in making known all these great things? Of course, David is speaking in the third person of himself. O Yahweh, there is none like thee, neither is there any God besides thee, according to all that we have heard with our ears. And what one nation in the earth is like thy people Israel, whom Elohim went to redeem to be his own people, to make thee a name of greatness and terribleness by driving out nations from before thy people, whom thy, thou hast redeemed out of Egypt. Of course, and the word nations is again goy. Clearly the word nations is referenced here, referencing non-Israelite people here, without any doubt. For thy people Israel, didst thou make thine own people forever, and thou Yahweh becamest their God. 
Therefore now, O Yahweh, let the thing that thou hast spoken concerning thy servant and concerning his house be established forever, again, forever, and do as thou hast said. Let it even be established that thy name may, may be magnified forever, saying, Yahweh of hosts is the Elohim of Israel, even a, an Elohim to Israel, and let the house of David thy servant be established before thee. For thou, O my God, hast told thy servant that thou wilt build him a house. Therefore thy servant hath found in his heart to pray before thee. And now, O Yahweh, thou art God, hast promised this goodness unto thy servant. Now therefore let it please thee to bless the house of thy servant, that it may be before thee forever. For thou blessest, O Yahweh, and it shall be blessed forever. And here we are, folks. We're still part of forever, and we're not going anywhere. <laughs> we, the descendants of Israel, we're not going anywhere. You Jews may try to exterminate us, but it ain't going to work. Praise Yahweh, pass the ammunition. Thanks for listening, everybody. Take care. See you next time. Bye-bye.